I want to continue our current series that we're in that, that we're calling Wilderness Times. How many was here two weeks ago when we, we delivered a message to you about Jesus entering into a wilderness? How many has ever been in a wilderness before? It's a dry, it's a lonely place. Nothing ever grows in a wilderness. You're thirsty in a wilderness. And you begin to ask God, why? Where are you? Why am I going through this? I'm going through some things that I don't understand, Lord. This is, this is too tough. Why are you allowing me to walk in the season that I'm walking in? And things begin to occur in your life. There are situations that begin to happen in your life, and you just don't understand. You can't explain it. You feel alone. You're lonely. You feel abandoned. You feel forgotten. You're walking through this thing called life, and you don't even know why anymore. You've lost your sense of purpose. You can't even answer what's next in your life. You have no idea what is on the horizon. You feel like you have no future. You're breathing, but you're not really living. You're surviving, but you're not really thriving. Am I talking to anybody in this place today? You've been going through a wilderness. And the dictionary defines a wilderness as this. A wild, uninhabited, and uncultivated region. A desolate area. I want you to focus for just a moment on, on that term uncultivated. When I was a young man, I first got married. 22 years of age, I was still trying to figure out this thing called life and being a husband and being a pastor. And like any good husband, I had some house chores. I still do. It's making sure that the chores of the house get done. That's, that's my chore now. I just oversee things. <laughs> that's a lie. But one of my chores when we first got married was I'm, I had to mow the lawn. And I hate mowing the lawn. You know, there's some people out there, you've got green thumbs, you live to be in the outdoors. I love where it's inside and it's cool. I love to keep the air on like 66 degrees. It's so cold in the house, you see your breath. That's heaven for me. You can't feel your toes, hallelujah. You feel like you're getting frostbite just walking through the house, it's wonderful. And then we had kids, and it's as hot as in the house. And one of my chores when I was 22, I had just gotten married, was I had to be over the lawn. And I can't stand being over the lawn. And how many know that you can't worship the pastor because the pastor is not perfect? And there were times early on in our marriage that I had I just put the lawn off. And there were times where we would drive up to our driveway together and, and, and your pastor's wife would look at me and say, are you going to mow the lawn anytime soon? It's getting kind of high. You know, when it begins to get past your chest, something's wrong. It's no longer a lawn. It's a forest. And I, I couldn't stand mowing the lawn. I didn't like to cultivate the lawn. And if there was one thing that I learned... It's that when you let things go uncultivated, stuff begins to grow up around you. 
And when you walk through a wilderness time, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you go through that season where it's an uninhabited and uncultivated place, things begin to grow up around you and you can't even explain it. Drama's growing up around you. Sickness is growing up around you. Because you have left things uncultivated, death is growing up around you. Depression is growing up around you. You don't have the answer because things are beginning to grow up around you. Things are uncultivated. And you say, I can't even walk through this anymore. This is too tall for me. There's too much growth around me. It's too much for me to handle. Where are you, God? How many has ever asked the question, where are you, Lord? One person, one person that's not lying in the house. Praise the Lord. I'm about to give an altar call right now. How many has ever asked that question, where are you, Lord? Are you even with me any longer? Do you still answer prayer? Can you still hear me? You're desperate and you're despondent. You're asking the Lord, where are you? But I love, I love what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 49. Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them and their suffering. And here's the deal. Yet Jerusalem, Jerusalem right here in this narrative is us. It's the people of God. And the people are saying the Lord has deserted us. We're walking through a wilderness. We're going through a tough time. Where are you, Lord? You've forgotten us. And the Lord says, never. Never. Can a mother forget her missing child? Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? But even if that were possible, I still would not forget you. And this is what the Lord says. See, I have written your name on the palm of my hand. Let that be an encouraging word for this place today. When you begin to question, God, where are you? You have deserted me. The Lord is saying, no, 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 child. I'm still right here. You may have gotten yourself in this mess. Come back to the place of where you left me because I'm still standing. You see, I have written your name on my palm. He loves me. He calls me his own. I believe today that my God, but he believed that I was worth dying for. <laughs> he came so he could straighten my path. Oh, somebody give him praise in this place. You better wake up. You better wake up. You better get with it with me today. And we come to our main text this morning. Let me give you a background of where I'm headed. The prophet Elijah has just experienced one of the greatest victories in his ministry. In essence, he's on a mountaintop. If you remember my message from two weeks ago, if you were not here, we uploaded it on our podcast. Go and look on iTunes, Calvary NSB, and you can follow along with this series. Two weeks ago, right before Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, he had a mountaintop experience. The Bible says that when John the Baptist had baptized him, the father was so pleased with his son that he sent the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and he opened up the heavens and said, this is my boy. 
this is flesh of my flesh this is bone of my bone this is my son and I am proud of him he's on a mountaintop but oftentimes a mountaintop will always precede your wilderness Elijah has just had a mountaintop experience where he was he was literally on a mountain called Mount Carmel and it was him versus 450 prophets of Baal it was a showdown on Carmel I'm gonna to get to there in just a moment and the goal was simply this whose God would hear the cry all day the prophets of Baal were crying out to Baal hear us and and to try and get their attention they would scream louder Elijah was even mocking them until eventually they began to cut themselves to try and get the attention of their God but yet still no fire came down from heaven Elijah looks around at some servants and says go grab some water there's an altar that's already formed but here's what I want you to do go grab some water and pour that water onto the altar and three times he sends his servants until the Bible says that literally it, 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 it was it was muddy it was like a river that was flowing around that altar it was wet you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that wet wood does not burn. But Elijah was there to try and prove to everybody, to try and prove to Israel who has turned their back on Yahweh. They've turned their back on Jehovah and they've turned to many idols. They've turned to Baal. They'll turn to Asherah. And Elijah is saying, my God is more powerful than any other God that you have decided to worship with man this altar would be impossible it's impossible to try and and set fire on wet wood with man this is impossible but with my God come on somebody all things are possible and Elijah looks up to heaven and he begins to cry out and the Bible says that fire falls from heaven and it engulfs the altar let me tell you something whoever has the most fire wins there are churches all around this community and they're trying to stay warm And one of the reasons that they're trying to stay warm is because the church that they're in is offering no warmth. They're trying to stay close to a fire, but there's no fire falling anymore. What makes Calvary so special is that we allow the fire of God to fall in this house. You want some fire? You've come to the right place because whoever has the most fire wins. after 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 Elijah wins the showdown on Carmel he, he he gathers the 450 prophets of Baal and he has them destroyed now here's where we come to our text in 1st Kings 19 Ahab the king of Israel goes back and he tells his wife Jezebel all that the prophet has done and here's what Jezebel had to say in verse 2 then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah 
saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the prophets that Elijah had destroyed tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into where? Here's this mighty man of God. The day before, he literally calls fire down from heaven. He defeats the prophets of Baal. He defeats the prophets of Asherah. And now because of one woman, he travels into a wilderness time. I want to preach a message to you today that I have simply entitled this, Running into Your Wilderness. Running into your wilderness. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would add the blessings of the reading of your word. It's the word that's going to go forth today. It's not my opinion. It's not my voice. It's your voice. Just use me as a willing vessel today. In Jesus' name we pray. Those that love him, say amen and amen. There was a time in my life when I was a teenager that I ran from the call of God. I'm not up here saying it proudly. I'm just giving you a brief testimony of your pastor. Many of you you, you know that I was into sports. You know that I, I loved playing basketball. I had gotten some recruiting letters to go and play college ball. And I really thought for a time that that was going to be my future. I thought for a time that I was going to enter into the sports world. I was running from the call of God. I knew that I was called. I knew that I was called to preach. I knew that I was called to be a youth pastor. But I, I, I began to run from that call for a short season in my life. And I really turned towards sports until I got into a church service where the fire of God fell. Until there was a traveling evangelist that began to preach on the fire of God. He actually began to preach on 1 Kings 19. And that is when I decided to wholeheartedly serve my Jesus. I was still serving the Lord. I had not left the church. I still considered myself a Christian. But I was running from the call of God until I got into a service where the fire of God consumed me. And I said, I cannot, I cannot run from this any longer. I'm miserable not doing what he has called me to do. You know that you've got a call of God on your life when you cannot see yourself doing anything other than that call. And here we find Elijah called by God. He was a man who had come to be a voice of our God to bring judgment upon the country. Israel had turned their backs. They had decided to turn towards gods and not toward our, the one true God. He, he literally had turned his back on his promise. He had turned his back on his purpose. Yesterday, he called fire down from heaven. He defeated Baal. He saw Israel turn back to God. But what a difference a day makes. What happened? What has changed in the mindset of this mighty man? Yesterday was God versus God. Yesterday, it was Yahweh versus Baal. It's the showdown at Carmel. Baal, according to, to Canaanite mythology, 
is the son of El. He actually defeated his father and became a greater God than his own dad. He was a fertility God. In fact, all of the people, they worshipped him and they tried to get him to bless their crops, to bless their land. God had had enough of this in 1 Kings 16 and 1 Kings 17. And God says, I'm going to show you the God of the crops. I'm going to show you the God of the land. And God sent a drought that lasted three and a half years while everybody was crying out to Baal, where are you? Send down your blessings, Baal, upon our land. We need a harvest. God was saying, you're turning to the wrong God. Still, that did not get them to repent of their sins and turn to the Lord. And the Lord said, I've had enough. I've had enough of this. And that is when they show down at Carmel in 1 Kings 18. That is when they literally, the people who had gathered, saw Elijah call down fire from God. And the Bible says at the end of this narrative that the people fell prostrate onto the ground and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You want to know what true revival looks like? It's when a community comes into the house of God. They fall prostrate onto the ground. They've turned to other gods. They turn to other ways. And yet God gets their attention. And the people say, the Lord he is God you want revival oh God do what you gotta do it was no contest it's not even a contest the Bible says this in Psalm 113 who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high who looks far down on the heavens and earth I love the way that the psalmist said it in, in, in chapter 24 who is this king of glory oh my 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 the Lord strong and mighty the Lord invincible in battle somebody say yes in this house that that is the God that you serve somebody put your hands together today if you believe the God is oh, strong and mighty but here's the deal that was yesterday. And now it's Elijah versus Jezebel. It literally is flesh versus a spirit. Jezebel first comes on to the scene. First Kings 16, as she marries the king of Israel, her husband Ahab. Her father is Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. He's a high priest. Of Baal. When you begin to study Baal worship, it's actually closely associated with obsessive sensuality and it's always involving sexual acts. Jezebel, as a daughter of this perverse kingdom, was raised in an atmosphere where sex was a path to power and to influence. Ahab, her husband, the king of Israel, was completely subdued and dominated by his wife. Jezebel then she, she decided to introduce to the country the worship of Ashtoreth to Israel. This goddess represented in Canaanite culture by the moon was a power-hungry goddess of love and sensuality. And here is how she introduced it. Literally, she filled the temple of God with priestess who were literally prostitutes. They would sleep with the people of God to lure them, and the men of Israel could not resist. By Jezebel's influence, one commentator said this, that 10 million Israelites 
10 million, get that number in your mind. 10 million Israelites left the worship of God for Baal and for Ashtoreth. And literally, there were 7,000 people left that still worshiped the one true God. That was it. Can I talk to you for just a moment about a Jezebel spirit? Because I believe that this spirit is driving the election of 2016. The Jezebel spirit is still alive and well in our culture. It is a spirit that seeks to gain control through manipulation. It has a deep hatred of spiritual authority, true authority. It has a deep hatred. It always rebels against a God-ordained man or woman. And it begins to use emotional pressure, pressure, witchcraft, and obsessive sensuality in its pursuit of power. It uses a subtle persuasion to gain influence and, and to get close to those in control, and then it uses this position to gradually dominate that person. It's not just a woman that operates in the Jezebel spirit. This, this spirit is actually gender neutral. A man can operate in a Jezebel spirit. It's a person who will do whatever they've got to do, including sensuality and sexual acts, to get close to the person who is in control. They do not want to submit to the authority of God. Oftentimes, they will put on the facade of submission so that they can climb the, the ranks of authority. They don't want to submit to the man of God, but in front of everybody, they'll put on a show and say, Look, look at me with the intentions of manipulating the man or the woman of God to control God's authority. In the Hebrew, the name Jezebel, it literally means without cohabitation. She will not live or cohabit with those that she cannot dominate and she cannot control. That is why if you are in leadership within the ministry of our church, you better use spiritual discernment. We will not allow a Jezebel spirit in this house. If you're wanting to seek and control me, you've come to the wrong place, baby. If you're trying to seek and manipulate God's authority in this house, you've come to the wrong house. Let me tell you something. You came to the wrong place to try and cohabit with me. You're not going to cohabit here at Calvary. She will have no equal. Control is what Jezebel wants to do more than anything. Even when Jezebel appears to be submissive, it is usually out of a carefully wrought plan to gain influence. But here's the deal. Jezebel's hold cannot be tolerated over any ministry, and it must be broken. The Jezebel spirit has got to be broken over the house of God. Jesus himself had some incredibly stern words for the church of Thyatira. In Revelation chapter 2, he says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, church, that you have tolerated that woman Jezebel. You've tolerated her. You've, you, you've allowed her to come into the house, and you haven't really fully dealt with her. 
you've got to always deal with the Jezebel spirit because if you do not, it will continue to grow and gain influence. Jesus understood the power and influence of the spirit of Jezebel and wanted the spirit broken off of the house of God. He plainly said that these people, they tolerated Jezebel. The word tolerate right there in the Greek, it means this, to allow the existence, presence, practice. It means to permit it. The people in this church at Thyatira, the Lord says this, I've got one thing against you is that you have, permi you have permitted Jezebel to enter into your ranks. You've not dealt with this spirit. You've allowed it. This presence has grown. The practice of Jezebel continues in your pew, and I've got it against you. You see, here's the deal. Jesus understood that when you begin to deal with the Jezebel spirit, it will never be conquered until it is confronted. Whenever you deal with the spirit that is sent against you, you must always confront it because if you do not, it will never be defeated. We've got too many pastors nowadays. They don't want to confront anything. Let there be peace, peace. Wonderful peace. Coming now. Thank you. The worship team's over here complaining. The rest of you are like, man, that's awesome. We've got too many pastors in the pulpit nowadays. They don't want to confront anything. We can't confront that topic. People are going to, they're going to get offended and they're going to leave the church. We, we can't talk about homosexuality. It makes people uncomfortable and you become, you begin to be labeled as a bigot. We can't confront racism in America any longer because you're going to be called a racist now. I'm thankful we got all people. You can't talk about abortion because it's a woman's choice. You're out of tune with things. Don't talk about that, Pastor. If you want to grow a church, you can't talk about that. You've got to have a 45-minute glorified session where it doesn't change any people's lives. The only thing that it changes is it makes people feel good. I'm not here to make you feel good. If you want to take a feel good, make sure you take some ibuprofen before you come to the house of God. I'm here to preach. I'm here to cast out demons. I'm here to heal the sick. I'm here to cleanse the leper. I'm here to be a voice for revival. My, my, my job description was never mandated that I've got to make people feel good. Now, I love you. I love my people. I love this place. I love my church. But the Bible says this in Revelation, that the Lord loves who he chastises, which means the Lord loves who he disciplines. It means this, I love you enough to challenge you. I love my son enough to say, you can't leave that junk on the floor. Pick it up, boy. I love you enough. You better pick that plate up off the table and go place it in the sink unless you want to time out. 
And there's a reason that the Lord, had, I believe this, that there in the last days are going to be certain revival hubs that, prop, that they prop up across America. And there's going to be some churches that are unable to participate in this revival because they're in a quote-unquote timeout. Because you try and shut me down and because you do not preach the word unhinged and you do not preach the whole gospel, the Lord says, I will not allow my full glory to descend upon your house. The Lord is going to allow certain churches to see the glimpse of his glory and I believe that that house is in this, is in this place and here's why. Because we're not going to tolerate what Jesus wants to obliterate. Jesus held a tolerant attitude against, uh, against the church at Thyatira because he was fully cognizant of the damage the spirit of Jezebel could inflict. In the same way, he wanted the church in Thyatira to be aware of the spirit of Jezebel. He wants us to be aware of that spirit here today in 2016 because you can't just be aware of her. You've got to deal with her, and we deal with it here, and here's how you deal with it. It takes a Jehu. The Bible says at the end, and I'm kind of skipping around today, so just bear with me. At the end of the wilderness time for Elijah, the Bible says that he went and he anointed Jehu king. And it wasn't till Jehu was anointed king that Jezebel did not get dealt with. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 9, when he was on the way, to deal with her, it was written down that people said, here comes Jehu, and he rides furiously. When Jezebel sent envoys to meet Jehu, to offer peace and to offer compromise, Jehu responded, how can there be peace as long as harlots and witchcrafts of Jezebel are many? There can be no peace as long as you are alive. Jehu would not rest until Jezebel was dead. Her pleasures could not attract him. Her threats did not deter him. He did not tolerate Jezebel. And Jesus says that we could not tolerate her as well. And here's how. I'm going to give you two ways. And then I'm going to go a different direction in just a moment. Here's the first way that you deal with Jezebel. You must learn the prophetic power of the word no. And that's hard to hear for people that are people pleasers. That's hard to hear when you want to make sure that everybody stays happy and they've always got a smile on their face. You've got to learn the prophetic implications when you say no. No to Jezebel. No to depression. No to death. In this house, no to lasciviousness. No to manipulation. No to witchcraft. No to sickness. No to poverty. No to disunity. Somebody in this house, you've got to raise up a standard and begin to walk in the prophetic power of the word. No, you cannot have my ministry. You cannot have my family. I'm going to stand in the great divide. And for you to get to them, you've got to get through me. And with God for me, who can be against me? Because greater 
as him that is in me than he Jezebel that is in this world. Somebody give God a 10 second praise. I'm preaching better than you're letting on. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. The second way that you deal with Jezebel. Here's where, here's where I want to go. Elijah, he goes into a wilderness. And the Bible says that he literally throws himself a pity party. Have you ever thrown a pity party? I'm the only one, God, that's still left. Everybody else has turned their backs on you. I'm the only one. There are no other true worshipers. I'm the only true worshiper left. I'm the only voice of truth. It's just me. Let me die. That's all I want to do. I called fire down from heaven yesterday, but today I just want to die. That's what Elijah said. Just let me perish. I've had enough, Elijah says. I'm tired of this fight. I'm tired of the warfare. I'm tired of Ahab not heeding the words of God. I'm tired of being the prophet that you have chosen to speak truth to your people. I'm tired of it. I'm the only one left. Raise up somebody else. I'm tired of this. I've had enough. Kill me. The Bible says in 2 Kings 19, verse 5, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel. I'm so glad that we serve a God as suddenly. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he laid down and took another Pentecostal nap. You say, Pastor, what's that all about? Where, where are you headed with this? The Hebrew term for broom tree, it's actually a juniper tree. And so the Bible says that he leads himself into the wilderness. If you remember in Mark chapter 1, two weeks ago, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but Elijah led himself. And he falls asleep under a juniper tree. And the Hebrew term for the juniper tree, it simply means to bind. Now you couple that with verse 6 when the Bible says that an angel of the Lord showed up and began to minister to Elijah and you begin to research the background of what that angel meant that angel in Hebrew it meant a theophanies it was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus the very next verse the Bible says the angel of the Lord which was the title attributed to Jesus himself isn't it like Jesus to show up when we've got to have some things bound So not only do we have to learn the prophetic power of the word no, but you also have got to begin to rely on Jesus because it's only Jesus that can bind things in our life. It's only Jesus that can say, I can deal what you cannot deal with. 
The Bible says in Matthew 18, 18, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. The word bind is the Greek word deo. It means to, to forbid, to prohibit, to put under obligation. And we as a church united behind the call of God, not only do we tell Jezebel no, but we also tell the other spirits that have come against this ministry, we bind you. Oh my God. In the name of Jesus, we bind you. We prohibit you from entering into the premise. We forbid you to operate in this ministry. We obligate you, Jezebel, to bounce up out of here, baby. For Jesus shows up in my wilderness. He shows up in my time, and he gives me my power and my authority. Therefore, I fight from victory and not for victory. Because my Jesus has already won it all. And he shows up when things have got to be bound. Somebody better get excited up in here. I'm preaching a whole lot better than you saying. We've already won. We've already won. We've already got the victory. We fight from it. Not for it. Because it's already been achieved. Somebody give Jesus a 10-second praise up in this place. And can I say this about Elijah? I don't fault him for running. I don't. A lot of pastors probably stand in the pulpit and say, You don't, don't run. Stand on the firing line, as the old-timers used to say. Having done all to stand, just to stand. And that sounds pretty good until you get into a fight. That, that preach is good for a church if you want to fire them up and get a few amens. Stand. See, it works. But the truth is we all run sometimes. The truth is that we all flee the fight sometimes. If, if Elijah could have described to a counselor what he was going through, I believe it, it was a, a case that would have been diagnosed as simply burnout. Have you ever been burnt out? Have you ever come to a place in your life where you just ain't got nothing else to give? That you're running you're running on fumes. You have nothing left in the tank. Have you ever come to a time in your life when you've got nothing left to give and you're just done? I'm done with it. I'm done with it all. I'm tired of fighting this fight. If I can't get the victory, which means if I can't have my way, But as a believer, we have got to come to grips at times that the Lord has called us to a battleship and not a cruise ship, which means sometimes we got to go through a fight. Sometimes we got to go through a battle. There's going to be seasons that we don't like, but fear not. My God has written me on the palm of his hand. He's there for me. Don't run. And I remind myself in these times, I'm just a man. I'm just flesh. I'm not perfect. My wife can 
attest to that. Don't you say nothing beautiful. I'm just a man. That's why you can never worship the pastor. We go to places and people put the pastor up on a pedestal. Here at this church, you can shake my hand. You can come talk to me if you'd like. You can call if you need counseling. I've got a problem when Jesus can be touched, but pastors can't. But the pastor ain't God. Don't worship the pastor because we all fall too. Sometimes we just hide it a lot better. I remember one time when I first started out in ministry about 10 years ago, I was newly licensed with the Assemblies of God. You got to say it that way to sound spiritual. I was licensed with the Assemblies of God. I wasn't ordained like I am now. And when you're licensed, you have to go meet with the presbyter of your region. And so I was 22 years old. I was new in ministry. I'm not even sure if I was married yet. I was still kind of doing ministry on my own. Jackie was praying for me in Alabama. And I was on my way. I got in my car and I had to go meet with the presbyter. And I've grown up in ministry. My father is a presbyter. I've been around, quote-unquote, big-name pastors. And if there's one thing that I've learned is that these guys are just men. They breathe the same air that I breathe. And this pastor, this presbyter set me down. He said, now, don't be intimidated. Okay. I'm not. And he said this, I put my pant leg on the same way that you do. And I'm like, that's weird. Who opens up a conversation that way? I'm not going to talk to you today about putting my pants on. Why am I here? You know, you brought me here. Why am I here? I'm not intimidated by you because we're all flesh. We all fail. We all fall. The, the, James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way about Elisha in James chapter 5, that he was as human as we are. Therefore, I don't criticize him for running. I can't blame him because the, the psalmist says in Psalm 73 that my heart and my flesh, they fail. I mess up from time to time. I make mistakes. I'm a sinner just like you in need of grace. I fail. The flesh is a worse enemy sometimes than the devil himself. But if you finish the verse in Psalm 73 and you look at, at verse 26, but God, my heart and my flesh fail, but God, I can preach a series on that one phrase right there for an entire year. For 52 weeks, I can preach on but God. I was lost, but God. I am now found. I was hurting, but I am now healed. Oh, goodness gracious. And the psalmist says in verse 26, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My flesh hell fails, but He is my strength. My heart is unclean, but He is my portion. What's going to get me out of this wilderness is I'm beginning to close. 
What's going to get me out of this place, this dry, weary land? My preaching ability will not get me out of it. My talent will not get me out of this wilderness. Walking in my calling and my anointing, it cannot get me out. It's only by the name of J-E and somewhere between there and S, he shows up and he says, hey, I'm the light along your path. But God, I can get you out of this wilderness. But God, just hold on a little bit longer. But God, there's a plan and there's a purpose for you that you don't even see just yet. But God, all things are going to be working together for my good. But God, somebody say, but God. For three years, for three years, Elijah in his ministry had not moved without hearing and obeying the Lord's instructions. But now... For the first time, he's running ahead of the Lord and is writing the own chapter in his life. You see, when God's servants get out of his will, they begin to do all sorts of foolish things. And oftentimes, you will fail at your strongest point. Abraham, a man of faith, fled Egypt, and he failed in his faith. David, a man of integrity, failed when he saw Bathsheba bathing on a roof. Moses, a meek man, lost his temper and murdered an Egyptian. Elijah, bold and courageous, fled in the face of Jezebel when he got out of God's will. But aren't you thankful today for the love and the grace of God? Because to him, the most precious jewels are not made of stone, but of flesh. He's the one. He's the one that will cook the fresh bread and will grant me a jar of water in the wilderness. Therefore, he is the one that sustains me when I can't eat any longer. Because he is my bread of life. Oh my he is the water that gives me no thirst any longer. Could it be that he's telling everybody in 1 Kings 19 that I'm showing up and I'm cooking the bread and I'm granting the water because that is what I am and that is who I want to be in your life. Therefore, eat of the bread. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He shows up at a well and he says, I can give you water that will never let you thirst any longer. I just want to give you myself somebody give him praise I gotta I gotta finish this thing I gotta finish this thing is anybody getting anything out of the word Elijah he leaves the wilderness the Bible says that he's led to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. And in verse 11, the Word of God says this, and he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, 
an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was. When Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What do I do if I am in a wilderness pasture? Let me give you a piece of advice for some, from someone who has recently gone through a wilderness time. You wait upon the Lord until he chooses to pass you by. Do not move. Don't go anywhere. Well, I've got to leave this church. You better not move until the Lord gives you a release. I got to get out of this wilderness. If the Lord has called you there, it's only going to be by His will that He gets you out. Continue to stand exactly where you're at. Don't move until He chooses to pass you by. And when God passes you, power will always follow. Elijah was being reminded that everything the earth, the sky, the wind, the fire, the earthquakes is obedient unto his voice. The Lord is showing to Elijah, I've got many things to accomplish my task. What are you doing questioning me? Do you not see that the wind obeys my voice? Do you not see that the fire obeys the creator? Even the earth shakes when I open up my mouth. Who are you that you can question what are my motives? I am God. But here's what I want to draw your attention. None of those things move Elijah. This man has just called fire down from heaven. He has seen this quote-unquote trick. It does not surprise him because he's a man of fire. He's a man of the miraculous. These things don't move him. The only thing that caused him to get up out of a cave and to go outside is when I still. Small voice whispered his name. Elijah, what are you doing here? And in a time... Where I love events. In a time where I love conferences and I love revivals, could it be that God sometimes is saying, all that is good, but that's not all of me all the time. The exhibitions don't always stir me. I'm thankful when people fall out in the spirit, but give me a church that wants to hear the voice of God no matter if someone is screaming or God is saying, be still. Give me a generation. Give me some young people that loves the music. If the piano was on, that would be a great analogy. 
In our new church, we have thousands of dollars worth of lights, and all that is great. We have a new website. Awesome. It looks great. We have podcasts. Awesome. It's cool. But none of those things move me. I want to be a man that hears after God's voice. I love the big events. I love the conferences. I love getting asked to go preach now in the southeast. That's amazing. But God, help me to remain a young man that always wants to hear your voice over the event. I just want to be a young man who wants to hear what you've got to say because the whispers of Calvary are infinitely more potent than the thunder of Sinai. All I need is his voice. In a wilderness, I'm not moving until I hear you, Lord. It's your voice that guides me. It's your voice that lights my path. Oh, God, as the pastor of this house, let this be a place where your voice is heard. Because, God, we are a people that want to hear your voice. Someone begin to raise your mouth and begin to cry out for the voice of God. We want your voice, Lord. I'm thankful for powerful services. We're going to continue to have them. I'm thankful for revival services. Lord, we're going to continue to schedule them. But in the midst of all those great powerful things, Lord, we desperately, desperately, desperately want to have an ear that is in tune with your Holy Spirit. Speak, Lord. Speak, God. Speak to us, Lord. Somebody begin to cry out if you want his voice. We want your voice. We're in a wilderness. We're in a dry and weary land. I'm tired of this place. I'm being tested, God. I'm tired of this. It's tough. I feel alone. I feel forgotten. Lord, I'm the only one left that's serving you in this community. God, save me. Give me your voice. Give me your voice. Cry out. Cry out. Cry out. We want your voice. Speak, Lord. Speak, God. We want your voice. The fires, it's warming, but you weren't in it. The wind was powerful, but you weren't in it. The earth, it quaked when you opened up your voice, but that wasn't what you had for Elijah. You had a gentle whisper. God, speak to us. Here's how I want to end. When you begin to finish the chapter in verse 19, there were three people that God told Elijah to get up out of Sinai and to go anoint. Two of the three were Jehu and Elisha. Here's how I want to end this. I believe in this generation that the Lord is calling up Jehus. I believe that the Lord is wanting to raise some people up. Look at you in the middle of bike week, in, in the midst of having to, to cancel service for Hurricane, we got some Jehus in this place. We got some Jehus in this place that says to Jezebel, I'm not going to let you live. I'm not going to let you come against my pastor. I'm not going to let you come against the ministry. The Lord has brought this church too far. The Lord is raising up a Jehu to stand in the midst and to fight and to hold the integrity and the character of this house. God is wanting to raise you up to be a Jehu. Someone is going to be anointed today with a Jehu anointing. It's the first call. The second call. The Lord tells Elijah, you need some help. 
And by the way, he says this. Why do you say that you're the only one left? I've got 7,000 people in Israel that you know nothing about. It, it reminds me when Jesus says to disciples, I've got disciples that you've never heard about. You're not the only one that's going through something. It's not all about you, so get off the meme mountain for just a moment. There's some other people that's going through some junk as well, but I've got followers who are still following me that you know nothing about. And the Lord says to Elijah, one of them is a young man by the name of Elisha. Elisha is a teenager. And the Bible says that Elijah was to go and anoint Elisha as his predecessor. Oftentimes, when you're in the wilderness, the Lord will send you your greatest help. And when he finds Elisha, the Bible says that he's out working in the field. You want to get out of your wilderness? You want to be a man of God, a woman of God? Be found working in the field. Because a lot of times, the Lord will always call you when he finds you working. Pastor, I want to hold a microphone. When's the last time that you worked for him? Pastor, I want to travel. When was the last time that you allowed yourself to get dirt under your fingernails in a field? Pastor, I want a title. I don't want anybody on my staff that spiritually I cannot smell the sweat on their brow. If you're going to work here at Calvary, you've got to be found working in a field. There has to be an aroma. <laughs> the Lord moves when his people work. And the Bible says that he finds Elisha, this teenage boy, out working and plowing the field for his family. And Elisha chose to do something that day. He burns. what he was trying to crop which meant he said this in faith i'm gonna leave it all behind the crops that i was trying to harvest was my future but no longer do i have my eye on the crop i have my eye on the man of god where the lord is trying to take me i'm preaching a whole lot better than you're letting on i'm gonna preach to myself for a few moments I haven't preached in two weeks. I hope you're getting something out of this. And the Bible says this, that Elijah, he goes and he throws, he throws a mantle upon him. He doesn't say, he does not use a word, come follow me. He doesn't say you're next. He doesn't say that the Lord has, has brought you up in this time. All Elijah does is he approaches him. Come here, Darnell. Stand here. Come here, James. Come here. Pastor Jay, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Come. Something's about to shift in this sanctuary. See, there was nothing really special about the cloak that, that Elijah was wearing. It was just a garment. 
oftentimes it was an animal skin. But the Lord doesn't ever look at the outside. <laughs> That's what got Israel in trouble in the first place when they got Saul. The Bible says in 1 Samuel that Saul was a head above everybody else. He was tall. He was distinguished. He was good looking. He looked kingly. But just because you look the part doesn't mean that you can get it done. The Lord doesn't always look at the outside. He looks at the inside. And that's why he found David, a teenage boy, out in the field. He didn't look kingly, but he was a boy after God's heart. <laughs> 